then when I read it, then I decided I'm going to hate A.S. King forever <laughs> <laughs> because this book was so freaking good. This is the ICTE Podcast, a quarterly news and talk show about what's new, trending, and worth discussing in the world of teaching English language arts. The ICTE Podcast is the official podcast of the Iowa Council of Teachers of English and was created to advance ICTE's mission of facilitating deep connections and professional learning for English language arts teachers of all stages. This is Episode 7. I'm Austin Hall, and I'm coming to you from ICTE and iowaenglishteachers.org. In this first episode of Season 2 of the podcast, Part 2 of a conversation with YA authors A.S. King and Andrew Smith. This episode is brought to you by the 2018 Iowa Council of Teachers of English Fall Conference. The conference is being held in Johnson, Iowa on October 11th and 12th. For more information and to register, visit our website, www.iowaenglishteachers.org. In addition to a variety of breakout presenters, join us in Johnston to learn from our keynote speakers, Michael Monaco, Senior Consultant on National Education for the Folger Shakespeare Library and Assistant to the Editor for Folger Shakespeare Set Free Series, and John Crownapple, author of Guiding Teams to Excellence with Equity, Cultural Proficient Facilitation. It is definitely a conference you don't want to miss. Okay, now let's get to the show. The Marbury Lens is still one of my favorite books. And I mean, talk about surrealism, talk about my alley. Like that book is right up my alley. It's so, uh, it's so real. Um, and I connected so deeply to it and I cried and I didn't know why I was crying. I had no idea. Um, so, you know, Jack kind of does it for me, but uh, Grasshopper Jungle made me, I'll be honest, and I don't know if Drew knows this, but Jack, Grasshopper Jungle, I read it in manuscript form. And um, I then wanted to climb under my bed and never write another book. I thought there's no way I could write a book as good as this. Um, I'm done. I need to go mix paint now, uh, you know, at the paint store and I'm done. And in a way, the next book that I wrote then was Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future. And I mean, that was a whacked out book for me writing it. Like, I'm like, what the hell is this? Um, But what was interesting was that in a way it was my answer, even though the two don't kind of connect in a way, end of the world, end of the world in a different way. But like, it just worked for me and it was my answer to it. So I find that whether Drew knows it or not, I mean, every book I'm inspired by most books, not, not every book, that's a lie. I'm inspired by a lot of books that I read, but Drew's books always um, inspire me to be a better writer. Uh, so some of my favorites, I mean, Alex Crow is one that I can't shut up about, which is kind of interesting. Um, there's a bunch of reasons I can't shut up about it. Um, because so many people don't understand that you can have a book with an all male cast, nearly all male cast, sorry, Drew, um, a nearly all male cast and then have it be what I think is one of the most feminist books that was ever written. I think it's wonderful. Um, how it talks about male societies and then also talking about, you know, what was going on in when Syrian refugee camps and things like that to um, maybe try and level level that strangely all-female playing field of like, look, we're the only ones that can experience sexual violence, and that's not true at all, um, at all. And it's something that um, even Marbury Lens did for me as well. Um, and I, I don't know, there's so many things. I don't even know if I'm answering, answering your question, Austin, at this point. I love all of his books, um, all of them. But my, my favorites, um, my favorites, I have favorites for different reasons. I mean, 100 Sideways Miles, I didn't realize when I picked up 100 Sideways Miles, 
I had Drew taking me up to his place to to I stayed over one night, um, got to meet you know got to meet his wife and 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 um, and kids, and it was awesome. And but as we were driving, he was like driving down this road, and he's explaining this dam that had like ex, like had collapsed and exploded, and just kind of showed me where there were chunks of concrete, and he was explaining the whole thing to me as we drive by. It was as we drove by, and. And then I pick up 100 sideways miles and it's about the dam. And I was like, what? Um, so I connect to that, you know, in that strange way where I like, I've been there, I've seen that. And I could kind of understand it that way. But the story itself as well. I mean, I can't pick a favorite, but I can definitely say I, I love every single one of Drew's books. There's not one that I was like, eh, not so much Drew, you know? Not that I'd say it was fake. And that what I'd say, I wouldn't say it behind his back either. That's the coolest thing. And imagine like for me, there's only a few, Pauls and Dell did that, although there was a few that were meh for me with Paul, but whatever, I was in eighth grade. Um, Kurt Vonnegut can do no wrong, and Andrew Smith can do no wrong. That's it, that's it, that's my do no wrong list. Uh, I loved Finn. Finn, mm. Finn, and I think everyone talks about Ryan Dean, and I love Ryan Dean, but I, Ryan Dean I think spoke to me about those kids that are, we have so many quiet boys that don't, they don't speak about their pain um, and we tell them not to as a society. And I remember I read that book right when there was the shooting on the reservation school where he came in and shot his friends in the cafeteria. And he had posted on Twitter before that he was fine. And I remember Finn said that all the time. I'm fine when he wasn't. And I think that's something that, your book Andrew brings out for us is that those quiet kids, you know, we have to reach them in some way. And, um, and that was one of the things I really loved about this, about 100 sideways miles was that character, even though Cade, Cade kind of steals the show every once in a while. I love Cade Hernandez. <laughs> he, I hope he comes back somewhere and shows up in another book. Yeah, you never know. You never know. I know. <laughs> well, uh, and so, okay, so if, if, if I were to answer that question, Austin, um, uh, my favorite A.S. King books are one that we just talked about. I crawl through it. And I especially love in that, well, I mean, like, I love, I love the narrator, Stanzi, Um but I really love Gustav because I love Gustav because of how kind of um, how pragmatic he is. He's awfully, he's awfully, uh, he, well, I mean, like he's very Northern European, I guess, uh, in his pragmatism and his matter of factness. But also, I mean, you can see through that, I think, um, beneath that veneer of everything, everything's fine. Um, beneath that veneer, I think that Gustav has some feelings that run pretty deep for others. And uh, I like him a lot. And I also, and then, but, I mean, it, it's hard to say a favorite A.S. King book, but one that I recommend probably more than, more than others is uh, Everybody Sees the Ants. And, um, and I, also, I, I also really love Lucky in that book because he's really vulnerable but he's also at the same time really strong and he doesn't realize it until, you know, until a real a major turning point in the book. Um, it's a great book. And then, but the first, the first book where I became aware of who A.S. King was, was um, Please Ignore Vera Dietz. 
And, uh, and then, and then when I read it, then I decided I'm going to hate A.S. King forever <laughs> because this book was so freaking good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like that was, I mean, there's, there's been a couple of books that came out that I really wanted to hate the person who wrote it. And then I met them and then I realized that they weren't nearly as hateful as I hoped they would be. Um, and uh, definitely Vera Dietz was one of those books. When the pagoda started talking. You know I the love pagoda is real? Did you know yes. that I was it to you? I love that. That's my that real is- pagoda from my hometown. I just saw it today, actually, um, driving up to <laughs> town. Yeah. So- I just remember when it started talking, I'm like, okay, I'm totally on board. I am totally on board with this author. And that's funny, because the minute it started talking to me, I thought, I'm totally insane. This is weird. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. But I I was like, that was my clue that this is, I want to keep reading this author. Can I say something? Let me say something about that, too, because I was just having, uh, I was just having a talk with somebody about that and about just magic realism in general. And I didn't tell you this, Amy, but I did, I wrote this down and I said, you know, when 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 you look at authors who in, in inflect a little bit of um, magic in reality, and the ones who do it outstandingly well, and I named two people, Salman Rushdie and A.S. King, I said the thing is, is that when it happens in those books, when it happens in those books, readers don't have to shuffle back a few pages or nor forward a few pages to find out what the heck is going on. It's seamless and it becomes part of just, oh yeah, that's happening. And that, I mean, that's something, I don't know if you could teach that to anybody without saying sit down and read for a thousand years, but I mean, some people got it and some people don't. And uh, you got it. I put you up there with uh, Salman Rushdie as far as incorporating that kind of stuff seamlessly and making the universe make sense. Well, I don't know. You know that Salman Rushdie is the reason I write books. So thank you. Um, Wow. Um, And it's funny you say that, though, Drew, because Marbury, the land of Marbury, I never went back. I didn't, you know, okay, yeah, there was was a different um, entrance into Marbury. Like, you know, that's that's you know fair enough but at the same time it it seemed totally real to me it was like two different worlds it wasn't a dream world it was a real world and and because of the trauma you know that jack had suffered before then i didn't you know and I, i saw the psychological you know um shift in his mind um and uh you know, the metaphor, I, I got it. I got it straight away. But I felt the same way about Marbury. Um, even though it's, I don't know what you would call your process or what, what you would call that, that um, what you did there. Uh, but it was, it was seamless for me. Um, and it was one of the things that really brought me very close to Jack. I mean, it's funny because people ask me, what's your favorite Andrew Smith book? And I think, well, you know, Grasshopper's Jungle, but I'm not going to say that because I hate that book because I love that book so much and it made me want to die. Uh, um, but and not really die, but just die as a writer. But at the same time, the voice in that book and those those boys in that book and the story in that book and the urinals in that book um, or urinals, depending on where we are. Um, <laughs> uh, um, 
you know, all of those things, they were so, you know, you've been compared to Vonnegut when it comes to that book. And, and I, as a Vonnegut freak for many decades, um, that was just it. It was like, oh, you know, Kurt's dead, but there's this book. It's fantastic. Those characters were on the page um, and their struggle was on the page. Uh, all sorts of struggles too. Struggles that you didn't even make people notice. I loved that, you know? I loved that it was like, it's the end of the world. And so experimenting sexually was not something we really ever even thought about because we we're like, everything's gonna go down now and so it was so but and that was normal and you know what it is normal so you made it normal and it, it is normal so it's like um I don't know I thought about how many people I know who experimented and feel shame and I think about those characters and I think um that they could definitely make people feel more normal and they made me feel more normal if that makes sense but um so it's always hard to pick my favorite but Jack is still my favorite because the I've lived through that split and having lived through a split uh, of not necessarily reality and, and Marbury, but that's the Marbury representing the side of my mind and the side of my body that was still experiencing trauma. I don't know, like it just spoke to me and I think it spoke to a lot of people. And that's funny that, cause that was out the same year as Vera, wasn't it? Love, it yeah. Was. yeah. Yeah. You know, um, can I tell you something about that too? Is that, is that, about the the normal thing, um, because you know you and I are people who get a lot of emails from kids all over the world, and um, and and uh, Grasshopper Jungle and Winger have caused the most volume of emails to come to me, and um, and I got an email from a kid. Uh, the other day, and I knew where he was coming from and stuff, and we had done a did, done a couple of exchanges, and he's in he's in a really bad place. And then maybe about the third exchange, he he said something to me like he said something like, "Well, I want you to know I'm gay, and I really hope you're not disgusted by that." He used that word disgusted, and um, and I felt like I felt so horrible for him because first of all, like. I kind of thought that he was gay right away, you know, from, because I mean, because of the, just because of what he was talking about and what he was going through, not that it mattered to me, not that I was kind of pigeonholing him in any way, but I, I, my response to him was that we're in such a sad world. If you use how you identify yourself with this supposition that you think others are going to be disgusted by you. I, I, I told him, I said, you know, that really hurts my heart for you. And it, 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 it tells me that I need to do more work. And we, as, uh, as a species need, need to do a lot more work. Um, uh, if we're going to evolve, you know, if we're going to survive, cause that's so sad for a young kid to, to say that about himself or to presume that somebody would have that attitude. Yeah. You made me cry. No one, no one can see it, but you guys, but there you go. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I get a lot of letters for us, the passengers. Um, and I get a lot of letters about kids coming out to their parents and having that horrific reaction and, or getting kicked out. And it's just sort of, I'm glad I can be there for them, but I, I wish I could be there for them. <laughs> I wish I could just sort of get my little exactly. helicopter, go just like pick them up. Like one of those, you know, retrieve a toy things you know just pick them up from life and bring them 
to live in my enormous mansion, which I don't own, um, and you know, uh, and just help them. But at the same time, I just hope that they can teach their their families how to be human. <clears throat> human. That's a hard thing mm. to teach, and it's hard. People are always kind of stunned by the stuff that I keep in my classroom sometimes. Um, like you let kids read that, and it's like, well, um. Mm hmm yeah because they might have lived it or they might have known someone who lived it or you know we try to protect kids by telling them that these books are not for them and that tells them that their life experience isn't for them either and right. and then they get that feeling like people are going to react like with disgust who I am and and they should be who they are they should be who they are and they should see who they are in the books, you know, and you don't see that in the canon much. No, you don't. If it's there, it's always like, yeah, farewell to arms, eh, kind of there. <laughs> it's not surface, you know, yeah. it's not there, but yeah, it's, um, it's sad. Uh, when you think of it that way, I had a school once say to me, uh, they said, Oh, will you sign our library stock? I said, absolutely. And, and they brought the books for me to sign and to the to the circ desk and and I was signing them and I said, Hey, do you not have a copy of Ask the Passengers? And they gave me that look like, we don't have any students like that here. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> can you not do the math? Like, <laughs> can you not do the math? Like, um, but I mean I remember being in high school, you guys, and I actually still have it. It's right over there. And I thought I'd returned it. I thought I'd I thought I'd stolen it, but then returned it. But it turns out no, I still have the Exeter High School copy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> of Patience and Sarah, which was the only book, and that was card catalog time. And I don't know how, I either looked up homosexuality or lesbianism, and that's the book I have. Um, and that's all they had. And I had to sneak it out, because you can't sign Patience and Sarah out. Um, I snuck it out, and apparently I never returned it, because I, I, I was so proud as well, because I often spoke to them and said, I stole all your Pauls and Dale, but hey, I returned Patience and Sarah. Turns out, nope, I still have it. So we lost Drew. Mm, I saw that, he'll come back. He'll come back, okay. Dust of a thousand, or dust, I always say a thousand dogs, like she Literally lived a thousand. people say a thousand dogs. It's, it's great, because Drew has a hundred, or a thousand sideways smiles. <laughs> <laughs> I have a dust of a thousand dogs, it's awesome. It's um, that was your first published book? First published right? book, yeah. And um, and it's being released again being this released, month, yeah. right? In, um, in, yeah, in about a month, yeah, something, or less than a month, three weeks. I don't know. I, I never drew. If he was here, he could totally tell you. He knows all of his publication dates. I never know mine. I have to look them up on Amazon uh, every now and again, and I don't like going to Amazon. Uh, but uh, yeah, Dust of a Hundred Dogs was my first one. Yeah, and eighth novel I'd written, but but first published. First published yes, yeah. I absolutely loved Emer. Oh, Is it Emer? Yes, yeah, Emer Mars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk about what what inspired you to write this story because I just oh, man. Um, well what inspired me to write this story was I was living in Ireland I'd lived in Ireland for 10 years or so at that point and um, I started getting into Irish history and um, Irish history is nasty um, really nasty and um, you know because in America we learn about certain things we hear like IRA that's actually all we hear actually when it comes to like Irish history it seems to be all we know we don't know the UFF or the UVF or the IVF you don't know any of those things the IVF none of those 
and we don't understand that it was an army against human uh, against people it wasn't you know um anyway i won't get into 400 years or actually 800 years of history here but um, i started learning about cromwell's invasion of ireland um because he he used my the road i lived on um to go from castle to kilkenny and so every time i walked my dogs and then there's the dogs down this road i thought about what it must have been like to be like to be there then and to see uh, these huge like these 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 roundheads coming around and, and knowing they were going to go and take Kilkenny and, and and take everything you owned and not for the first time either um and how cruel they were it was complete genocide they wanted to kill all catholics period catholics are going to be gone so when I learned more and more about Cromwell, I really wanted to write about Cromwell, mostly because at the time I was teaching, I was teaching literacy, and I had a lot of students who, um, because you know they had missed out on education and didn't know how to read, they also missed out on um, a good bit of history, but also their history books, including my husband's. I mean, he, his history book from 1983 um, still is very written by the victors. It's still written by you know the wrong side, um, same as our history books. I just looked at my uh, fifth graders uh, social studies book the other night and learned a lot about the Comanche tribe, which isn't true at all. Um, or though it is true, but it leaves out all the important parts. But anyway, <clears throat> also slavery. Amazing. Go abolitionists. That's all there is in there. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, I wanted to talk about and straight up and talk about what Cromwell did that he wanted to kill all Catholics, babies, everybody. Um, so that happened. And then suddenly I drew and uh, suddenly, um, uh, I, and then, then, this, then this character showed up, this Saffron Adams girl who was born in the 70s. And when she showed up, um, I just started writing. And I didn't know what to do with that book. I actually had a baby in the middle of it. Um, and, and then came back to it. And I went to Jamaica. I did some literacy work in Jamaica. And then Jamaica, on a beach in Jamaica is where I realized, oh, piracy, right, same time. So that's kind of where the book came from. It came from wanting to really write about Cromwell and evil, evil, genocidal humans. And yet to this day, the hate mail I get is mostly because of Fred Livingstone beating his dog. Let me get this straight. This is why I write books. There's a book with genocide, sexual assault, domestic violence. Um, there's a list that's longer than that. And the hate mail I get for that book is all about a guy who kicks his dog. Yeah. Because dogs, right? Yeah, we're more... I think that says a lot about our society. I love dogs. Nothing wrong with dogs. We're more empathetic about dogs than humans, I think, sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like... You bet. Um, you know, that, humans. Look at this. Just a little bit. A little wider. You know, there's a lot worse things going on in here. But I, I did... I love the piracy. The piracy was so awesome. And, and our, pirate. Yeah. That's what you know. And Bonnie is over here on my wrote in my book. I don't know if you can Arr, see. Yes, yeah, I know. I, yeah. I, yes, Arr. I love this. I'm about to get a big tattoo of Anne Bonnie on my shoulder because I there love you it. Go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to write about this. This is such an awesome book. I want to tell everyone to read it. Thank you. It's amazing. I was just thinking, Amy, as you were finishing that last little part there, what my teacher brain is already thinking at the time of this recording, Banned Books Week is coming up in about a week or so. Uh, and you were talking about the, the stuff that was in that book and what was getting commented on. I'm curious for the both of you, uh, how how often does it come up to you of books that you guys have written being challenged or, or, or how does that get brought to you? And I mean, I, I'm not going to ask what are your thoughts on it because I, I feel like I know what your thoughts would be. I love it, Austin. It's great. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious from the author's point of view, like how 
like when, when there's something that you spend so much time on and you both pour so much of yourself into what you write, what that process can be like for you guys. Drew, you go, because we missed you. We did. I know, I was gonna ask you, did you miss me? The power went out here. I'm in Southern California, look, power is not allowed to go out here. And when power goes out here for 30 seconds, it's like, it's like the end of the world. It's like, I'm, there were people like running through the streets going like, oh my God, is your power on? Yeah, my power was out where I was. I mean, and it's now, it's unbelievable. I'm going to have to reset my coffee maker now. I hate that. And my clock. Uh, alarm clock. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> it's okay, like. man. <laughs> uh, so bad books. Drew, you never get challenged, right? None of your books. Never. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and I, I take it I take it really personally because um um that hurts. I mean I, I I, I, I also have very strong opinions about people whenever they say things like, oh, banning your book is the best thing for sales. And, and, uh, and it, that's, I'm not interested in that. It's, uh, and no, and I don't think that having a book that's banned is necessarily good for your sales anyway. And um, no, it hurts my feelings. Um, and uh, I believe in the free exchange of ideas. Um, and, uh, and the free exchange of ideas requires, uh, requires the existence of a segment of the population, adults, who are um, familiar with ideas enough to be able to discuss them openly and honestly with people who are being exposed to them for the first time. And um, the problem with the banning thing and the challenging thing is that, is that chances are neither side has been exposed to the idea at all. The one that's interested in having access initially and the one that's interested in restraining access initially, neither one has had um, opportunity to examine that idea. And that's not good for society, it's not good for evolution, it's not good for us as a species. Agreed. Agreed. That's, that's I've never awesome been, yes. Yeah. I've, I've never been, um, I've never been officially challenged. I've been, um, they call it soft censorship. I'm sure Drew has been as well, where they wouldn't buy a book because of content for the library. Um, or because, or, or they, I've been disinvited. I've been uninvited, uh, based on funnily enough, a principal reading, uh, an Amazon review of, um, please ignore Vera Deeds where the reviewer got it wrong, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, he read that review and decided that that sort of content and an author who wrote about that sort of content shouldn't be in a school. Uh, again, the content was incorrect, but I do write about that content. So, so I guess, you know, but that, what bothered me the most was that the English teachers and the most especially the librarian connecting with those English teachers had worked so hard to get me into that school. It's a very, it's a, it's, it's the, um, inner city school in one, in one location that um, doesn't have a budget to bring authors in. They've never had an, an author. I was happened to, I was going to be in that part of town. This person has always been a great fan, shows up at the bookstore where I go. And we planned it for almost a year. And then two weeks before I was due to arrive, the principal decided, well, no, we're not going to have her. And that was, that just made me sad because, you know, what, what am I going to do? Come in and curse? Like, I have two kids of my own. What's your problem? You think I'm going to come in there and wreck people's heads and like, what like smoke a cigarette in front of them and like 
knock back a vodka. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. I do that in my office at night, clearly. <laughs> uh, but I don't do that. I don't do that. And, and at school visits, I'm there and I know exactly who I'm speaking to. And I'm trying to give them a very positive message. But um, yeah, so, uh, but I agree with Drew. You know, I don't, like people will say, oh, I, I'd love to have my book banned. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it helps with sales. Not with someone like me. And honestly, like sales... <laughs> No, I'm more, I don't write for sales and therefore I, I wouldn't want my book banned for sales either. Like, um, it hurts my feelings as someone who served on a library board for, um, a long time, you know, and I've had, I've had to defend challenge materials that were disgusted me, disgusted me, um, really gross stuff. And I'm, I mean, I really surprised some of my library board members, like, hold it, you're sticking up for this. I'm like, yeah, it's against everything I, I believe in, but it's, it's America. This is what we got here. I, I moved, I lived in Ireland for a long time. You know, there's a lot of things still banned there. You know, can't see the last temptation of Christ in Ireland. A great movie in my, in my world, but uh, there's a lot of books you can't get. So to me, yeah. Um, I've never been officially challenged. Um, and I'd love to put a challenge out to anyone who'd like to challenge me. Um, but at the same time, not really. And it doesn't seem all that glamorous to me. This has been really fun. Thanks for being our guinea pig. Yes. Group. Thank you, thank you. Thanks very much, Austin. Thank you, Jenny. Yes. And Amy, as always, I love you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the ICTE podcast. The next episode will be coming your way in November. If you enjoyed what you heard, please let us know by reaching out to us on Twitter at ICTE underscore board and subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, and by favoriting it on Anchor. The podcast is written, produced, and hosted by me, Austin Hall. Music for this episode from the Free Music Archive by Steve Combs. Thank you also to A.S. King, Andrew Smith, and Jennifer Paulson for their contributions to this episode. Thanks again, ICTE. Until next time, this has been Austin Hall for the ICTE Podcast the official podcast of the Iowa Council of Teachers of English.